Welcome everyone and welcome back to services. We it is the new is the first day of the new sacred year. It is month one, day one, and we are away from Passover. So everyone start with the opening prayer. Dear God, we are so uh thankful for uh for you allowing us to partake of your Sabbath day with you and of this uh new year that you've set aside for us and we are just so thankful and so humble that you have handpicked us to be a part of your plan we um praise you for it and we uh again thank you for allowing us to partake in this sabbath day with you we ask you to be with everyone on your sabbath day and allow them to hear the messages that they need to hear and uh to apply it into their lives and uh father we ask for the message uh ask your blessing on it today for um we ask that we understand it and we apply it to our lives and we um pray for all these things and um we thank you for everything in Jesus name amen if you remain standing we'll start off with hymns we'll go to page 184 the opening hymn page 184 this is my father's world for the second hymn, page 61. Great is thy faithfulness, page 61. Great 
God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and Springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand besides. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed and have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. This time I'll ask you to remain standing. We'll have the scripture reading. It'll be taken from Psalm 116. Verses 1 to 7 will be read by Brother Daniel. Good afternoon, everyone, and happy Sabbath. Psalm 116, verses 1 to 7. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our Lord is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Daniel. You may be seated now. We'll have the intercessory prayer. Um. Terrible news. We, uh, Naomi Irion, the um, young lady who was uh, a captive, was found dead this week after going missing for two weeks. So pray for her family and friends as they cope with this heinous crime. 
Um, some of our Tennessee brethren are coping with the effects of some extreme weather this past week, so uh, keep them in your prayers. Um, Velma Williams, a regular follower from the Houston area, is asking for prayers for her 22-year-old daughter um, who is dealing with uh, diabetic health issues, including uh, high blood pressure and blood sugar. Um, locally, keep the Hessel uh, couple in your prayers as they have uh, they leave this week to make the long trip home. And also pray for the body of Christ as we prepare to enter the Passover season. So the short um, uh, self-prayer and then Pastor Marie will bring us all together. I'd like to rise. We'll go to God together in prayer. Holy, loving Father, Abba, we come before your magnificent throne with our Messiah there at your right hand. So very grateful that we can come into your presence. We ask you to accept us collectively into your presence and hear our prayers this time we lift up those who are suffering, both physically and emotionally. The Erion family that is suffering now with the loss of their daughter, their granddaughter, their sister, their entire family, their friends, 
at this unspeakable tragedy that has happened. We are grateful to know that she is at least now at rest and not suffering. And at her next waking moment, she will come, she will come back to life, be out of the pain and the anguish that, that she went through to now be in the presence of Christ and to learn more about him and his ways. We now ask for your mercy upon her family and her friends as they cope with this, especially coming into the Passover season. We know the adversary is at work and is making war with the saints, and this is just another example of that reality. So we ask for your strength for them, as well as wisdom for us all as we come to realize and come to see the the facts of of that war that is being waged against your people. We ask for your blessing and upon your body, Messiah, as we come into the Passover, we know that at this time of year, historically, it is a time that that we suffer individually, collectively. Our sister from the Houston area, her daughter, Kaora King, is going through some health issues related to her diabetes, so please keep her safe and be with her. And, and through all of these things, Father, the, the suffering that we go through, the healing that we ask, the guidance of your people during this time of year, we ask you to give us the courage and the wisdom to, despite the tragedy and the sickness that we go through, the including the our folks in the southern U.S. that have been hit hard with weather this week, specifically in the Tennessee area that we're aware of, that as we go through these things, that we keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus Christ, on your plan, Holy Father, that there is a, a better world ahead, that these are things that we must endure, but that your will will come to pass so please give us the strength and the wisdom to see to that will, to not take our eyes off the goal, and at this time to to really value and appreciate each other as we come into the Passover season. Please guide us. Please be with those that are missing from our local group here through through various reasons. We look forward to being all back together in the coming weeks as we come into Passover and the night to be remembered and the, the spring holy days. We so very much look forward to being together at this time. So guide us all through this, Father. Keep us focused. Keep us courageous. And again, we just ask for your blessing upon all of these people and the many that we are praying for individually, the many that we don't know about. We know they are safe in your hands, that your will supersedes all, and we're so very blessed to know that and be guided by that. We ask this all in the name of our Messiah and King, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Remain standing. We'll have a one last hymn for the message. It'll be on page 137.
holy, mighty majesty. message of today be delivered by Pastor Adrian Davis and it is entitled Where Are the Nine by Pastor Adrian Davis. Greetings, brethren. Nice to see you again, Brother Larry. It's been a little while. Good to see you. Good to see all of you. I certainly appreciate the intercessory prayer, a difficult prayer, difficult subject. And I think um, in a few words, Pastor Murray really did deliver uh, the message that I want to deliver today. Turn with me to Genesis 6. As you're turning there, I think we would all agree that our world is in a mess. It's, it's not the world that we grew up in. It has become untethered, and we're in free fall. And I think an example of the chaos that we're in uh, was captured this week at the Academy Awards. I don't watch the Academy Awards, couldn't care less. I don't think anybody cares about the Academy Awards. Uh, but certainly it did make news when uh, Will Smith, famous actor, top of his game, um, assaulted the host, uh, comedian Chris Rock, um, on the virtue of Chris Rock um, insulting his wife or telling a joke that was not uh, in good good uh, favor or good taste. And so this uh, famous star got up on the stage, assaulted Chris Rock, sat back down, 
and a few moments later received the Academy Award and was honored and after that dancing with everybody and the violence was not an issue. That's not really what I want to talk about. What caught my attention in all of this, and you know, this lit up all over the world. Uh, people who couldn't care less about the Academy Awards, this was put in, our, put in front of us. But the Academy Awards is really about stories and the telling of great stories and how those stories are acted out. And so they give this award, the Oscar, to people who've acted well, directed well. It's some way associated with a great story. And it appears, I haven't seen the movie, but it appears that there was at least one great story told that was recognized by the Academy. We know there's just a lot of garbage, a lot of filth. Um, it seems that there was a good story that was told. And it's called Coda. And the uh, Best Supporting Actor uh, won for his role in this movie called Coda. Coda standing for Child of a Deaf Adult. And it's a movie about a, a hearing child, a very talented child, who is the only one who can hear in her family. And she has this gift of singing. And she wants to pursue this gift of singing. But the family can't hear her, understand this. Um, and so there's this conflict in the family of her wanting to pursue this, this gift that she has to move people with her voice and her, her family not understanding it and needing her because she's the only one that can hear in the family. I mean, this is the stuff of great story where you can really get in and understand the, the personal conflict within a family. And that's the power of story. And Pastor Murray has reminded us several times that those who forget their stories, who, who cease to tell their stories, cease to be a people. And I think it was last week that Deacon Jan said, we have to know how to tell our stories. And that really is what Passover is all about. It's about remembering the story. And, and similar to Coda, again, I haven't seen the movie, I'm not endorsing it, but the, the, the plot line is interesting to me. The power of that story is, I'm not deaf, nor am I in a family that is deaf. I will never under, shouldn't say I never, you, know, you never know what can happen. But to date, uh, I don't understand what it's like to be a deaf person or to be in a family of deaf people. And this is the power of story. A well-told story will immerse you in somebody else's reality. And you can have an experiential education about what it's like to be in that reality. So you and I don't know what it was like to be alive a thousand, you know, thousands of years ago, to be delivered from Pharaoh. We don't know what this was like. But through a well-told story, we can immerse ourselves and learn experientially. In Genesis 6, and in verse 5, and so what I was saying there was the, uh, the Academy Award for this man who won Best Supporting Actor, Deaf Man, it was overshadowed. Did you hear about it? Nobody heard about it. What they heard about was Will Smith and his egregious behavior. And so he completely overshadowed this great story and some great acting, apparently. What struck me in, when they were, I just heard an interview of this uh, gentleman, Troy, I forget his last name, Troy K, something, courts or something like that. They were interviewing him, and he's signing to answer. And I found it fascinating that in the family, 
So he's saying sign language is profound. It's amazing what you can communicate with with your hands. And in the family, his father was the best signer, like an extraordinary signer. And his father was in some sort of an accident and left a paraplegic. So the very thing that he needed to communicate was taken away from him. And what impacted me was the son, this best actor, was was so grateful for his father. He was so impacted by his father's example and so motivated to do something with his life because of his father. So in the midst of this tragedy, there was gratitude. And that really struck me. Here in Genesis 6 and verse 5, Christ warns us that our Noah's day, and here in verse 5, God saw, this is in Noah's day, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That's our, our day today, how, how accurate Christ was, that we've reached this culmination of wickedness, and people can put on suits and ties. It doesn't hide their wickedness. Their wickedness will come out. Their treachery will come out. And so we, we're in a world where the elite are treacherous. And here God's just like in this time, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, exclusively evil all the time. That's where we are now. And every time, every day, there's some new development that's just evil continually. I just find it hard to believe what we're doing to our children and what we're allowing to be done to our children. And what, what people in suits and ties are defending. Like, no, it's good that we have pedophilia. I, like, I, I just, I just, is this the real world? This is where we are. This is what Christ warned us. And it repented the Lord, verse 6, that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. And that certainly is sort of the, the prelude to where we are now. There, there is, it's just impossible. Logic would tell you that this sort of evil cannot continue unabated. It must be addressed. And obviously man is not going to address it. The elite are evil. The elite are colluding in evil. So who will stop this? It has to be Christ. Verse 8. Found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So despite all of the evil that was in the earth, there was a man on the earth who found grace. And by Christ pointing us back to Noah's time, clearly we're going to have the wickedness of Noah's day. But clearly, there will also be the grace that there must be a people who would be symbolized by Noah. That despite all of this destruction, there will be a people in the ark, so to speak. There will be a people that God's wrath will pass over. And we want to be in the ark. We want to be among those people. But will we? But will we? That's the question. And we may not be 
if we do not take this deleavening process seriously. This is the period, we have 13 days now before Passover, and in this period before the Passover season, this is the opportunity for us to physically deleaven our homes, our lives, as a spiritual reminder that this is the task before us, spiritually, to remove the leaven. One of these small pieces of leaven that can grow, that we must search for and root out, is ingratitude. Ingratitude is leaven. Ingratitude is this small thing, or something that can start small and grow and overtake our lives. It's something we must root out. And if we are going to find grace before God, we should not have certain issues. We shouldn't see, I mentioned this before, we shouldn't see brethren go from one Passover to the next and still have issues with brethren in the body of Christ. This is something that is, should be spiritually impossible. Spiritually impossible. That we have an issue one to another, and we come to a Passover, and we bury the issue. We take the leaven with us into the Passover, come out of the Passover, carry the leaven all year, and go into the following Passover. We're looking to find grace in the eyes of God. We're not going to do that if we are destroying our congregations by holding grudges. The fact that we our history is one that we're really good at splitting. You really don't hear much in the way of the Church of God where two different churches of God are coming together. What we hear more often is a Church of God has split and gone into another splinter group. And I have to give uh, CGI, we have to give CGI credit that I think more than all the churches of God, we do our best to cooperate and, and, and acknowledge and recognize other administrations and other part of the body, but the church continues to split, which is evidence we may not find grace in the eyes of the Lord. We have brethren who forsake the assembly. Although the scripture says very clearly, forsake not the assembly, so much the more as you see the day approaching. We have brethren who don't take the assembly as a high priority. And so you see them one week, you never see them again, then they show up again a few months later, and then maybe years go by and you don't see them. Or they show up in one congregation and they're in another, they get upset over there, they come back here. They don't, there isn't this sense that this body matters. And I just have to thank you, brethren, in terms of gratitude, uh, how much this congregation means to me personally. And what we've been through and what we've built over the, is it, is it nine years now, ten years? Nine years. By prizing, by, by prioritizing this congregation. We need this. And hopefully our example will inspire other congregations to prize highly the assembly and not forsake it. And in that same vein, we are a spiritual family. But sometimes you'll see brethren, it's just talk. You know, you'll see brethren tight with their physical family. And then, yeah, I talk to these guys on the Sabbath for a couple of hours. 
but I don't really see them as my family. Uh, this has to change. If we're going to find grace in the eyes of God, we, we're going to have to shift. And not much after this, uh, God sends this flood, destroys the earth, saves Noah, and then the wickedness starts all over again with Nimrod. And that same Nimrod agenda is what we're, <laughs> we're, in, we're living it now. This global, authoritative, wicked government. As this takes over, as this evil covers the earth, will we find grace in the eyes of God? That's the question. And if we're hiding leaven, it's not going to go well. So we really do have to take this seriously. And, and ingratitude is a great leaven. Look at Matthew 18, a, a passage that we're all very, very familiar with. This is the passage where Christ teaches us directly how we are to handle differences in the body, how we're to handle it when somebody sins against us and we are the victim of sin. So he handles all of that. So disturbed and shocked by this unusual teaching of the Lord that he has to ask him, okay, I, I get the process. How many times do I have to go through this? Would, would seven be good? Is it like seven's the number of completion? If I, if I really stretch myself and do this seven times, what do you think about that, Lord? And he says, no, until 70 times seven, which is the symbolic of the, the, the whole period of time in the church age, 70 times 70, seven times 70 weeks. If you look here, or 70 times 7, uh, if you look here, Matthew 18, drop down to verse 23. And just this passage, and let's read this passage with the view that we may be harboring ingratitude and what that looks like. Or the view that, no, no, truly, I am grateful for what God has done for me. Matthew 18 and verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. So this is a great king who has people who work for him. Servants, we could say slaves. They, it's not like they have a choice. Like, hey, I, think I'll, I think I'll hand in my resignation and go work for somebody else. No, these are his slaves. And when he had begun to reckon, so he's trying to just take an account of what's going on, what are my affairs here, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. So he probably had another servant that he could just say, go through and tell me what is the state of my affairs and how, how are my different employees or slaves doing with their area of responsibility. And so one of these servants comes forward and says, you know, there is one of your servants who owes you 10,000 talents. Like what? what? What some people say in today's money, this would be like billions of dollars. Let's say 10, he owes you 10 billion dollars. What on earth has been going on? So I've entrusted a servant with my affairs, obviously over time, and obviously a great amount of trust. I'm not going to micromanage you. you. You know I can chop off your head if you deceive me or are or, or, or dishonest with my affairs. So I'm not checking up on you. Let's say, I don't know, 10 years has passed. You know, how is how, it going in that area of my responsibility? And now they come and say, you know, Adrian, you know, he's looking after the treasury and dollars. 
send him in here right away. So when he had begun to rock in, the he had begun to reckon one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. This is enormous. But for as much as he had not to pay, like I don't really walk around with $10 billion in my account here. So I have no way of paying this back. So the king brings me in. And as much as I have not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So that this is just the state of affairs. You know, we carry on like slavery, 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 oh, slavery. This was the order of the day. This was how the economy worked. And if you owed me money and you couldn't pay, I would sell you. And, and go work somewhere else. And, and by the way, you still owe the debt. So while you're enslaved over there, do what you can to keep paying me back. That's the way the economy worked. So the Lord is quite, this is what anybody would do. He commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, please have patience with me and I will pay you everything. I'll, I'll find a way. I'll get this money back to you. So verse 27, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. Like, okay, maybe he was negligent. I don't know what happened, but he certainly he loves his family. And he, maybe he has a good heart. He certainly put on a, a, a presentation or a demonstration of, of uh, sincere repentance. So the Lord and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out. We're talking about ingratitude. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. Ten dollars compared to ten billion. So this is like nothing. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, much the way he did to the king, and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Very same response that he had to the king. And he would not. So this is getting at ingratitude. The, 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 his Lord forgave him this enormous debt that was really impossible for him to pay. Forgave him that. Now somebody owes him a pittance. And he wouldn't forgive him. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when, verse 31. What we do is not without witnesses. What we do in our relationships with one another is not without impact on the rest of the body. So it's not like this happens and nobody knows about it. So verse 31, when his fellow servants, these, these are also in the employment of, when they saw what was done, they were really sorry about this. This is awful. We're all servants together. It would be very sad for us if this servant who was dishonest was sold off, but he would have deserved that. But we saw how he was forgiven, and then we saw how unforgiving he was to our, our other fellow servant. And so this grieved them. They were very sorry. And they came and told unto their Lord all that was done. 
So there are witnesses. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired it of me. Shouldn't you also have compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? So there's an exact parallel situation. In fact, the Lord's Prayer, he says, uh, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. So he says, shouldn't you have forgiven, had compassion on your fellow servant the way I had pity on you? And his Lord was angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. So he's going to spend the rest of his life in torment because it's, a, it's a, an enormous sum and he just has to keep paying but be tormented until he pays all. Verse 35 is what I want to call our attention to because I think we do have or we can develop this sense that I'm okay. I'm in Christ. It doesn't matter if I don't forgive my brother. It doesn't matter if I have a bit of ingratitude. It doesn't matter if I'm harsh and unforgiving and hold grudges because I'm in Christ. So Christ gives us this parable. It gives the disciples this parable. And then he concludes it with verse 35. So likewise. So likewise. Meaning if we read the parable and we understand the parable, then we understand this. We understand there's verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. Unto who? Unto, unto Nimrod? Unto the Antichrist? Unto the wicked of the world? Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. So once we understand this parable, that we are a servant of the king, and we have fellow servants, he says this is an analogy. And our, my father will do the exact same thing. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if you, from your hearts, forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And this comes after the earlier part of Matthew 18, where we're dealing with some significant trespasses. We're dealing with, with real sin, where we've been harmed by somebody's sinfulness. And it, it, he concludes this whole passage by saying, get the leaven out. Every bit of it. Because if that is residing in our hearts, the Father will see it. The Father examines the hearts. He will see it, and he will treat us the exact same way. In other words, what we owe the Father is a debt that is so enormous, it's impossible for us to pay it. But whatever our fellow servants owe us, it is not, it's microscopic in comparison. So we, we will have no leverage before God if we're not forgiving that microscopic debt that a fellow servant owes us when we have been forgiven, a debt that it's impossible for us to pay. Compare and contrast this wicked servant with Psalm 116, which is part of this set of psalms 113 to 118 that we've just concluded uh, through the Wednesday night Bible studies. Uh, this coming Wednesday, God willing, Pastor Murray will join me. We'll have a Q&A. So any questions, there's a few questions that have come in. Uh, we'll address those questions in real time uh, next Wednesday evening, God willing. But it, 116 is in this body of um, Psalms, the Hillel Psalms, 
that are read on the night of Passover or sung on the night of Passover. And most certainly, our Lord on the night that he was crucified would have sung these psalms, uh, one or more of these psalms with his disciples. This um, body of text, the Hillel Psalms, really struck me. Just had I not sat down and read it as part of this body of this set of texts, that's the Passover uh, set of texts, it might not have impacted me the way that it did. What impacted me about the text of 113 to 118 is the Psalms give this wonderful overview of the narrative, the big picture, God's covenant love to the covenant community. Going back to Abraham and how, how no matter what this nation does, God is going to fulfill his will for Israel because of his covenant commitment. So that's the big story. That's the story we all have to understand. That's the story the Passover helps us understand and, and experientially understand. But in the midst of all of this, I get to what Psalm 116, and it just hits me between the eyes how personal it is. That there's a personal story here. That yes, we, we must understand the big story. And, and Christians who don't are easily deceived. Christians who think that, oh, uh, the Lord, it's just me and the Lord. I just have this personal walk with God. And they have no clue why God is so faithful. They have no clue what the big story, what the narrative is that God is carrying out from Genesis to Revelation. So we just read there in Genesis 6 how all of this wickedness began. How it was, there was a reset, a great reset, and then how it just all started again. And now Satan is trying to do his great reset, but we have this big picture as to why God is working through Abraham, what he's doing, and how it will all end up in Revelation. That's the big picture. And, and that understanding that is going to prevent us from a lot of deception. A lot of this sort of health and wealth gospel, and there's just so much deception that we can just run it up against the big story and say, nope, that doesn't fit. Even we can read uh, extra-biblical texts. It's these extra-biblical texts, are they legitimate? Some of the early church, they were studying these extra-biblical texts. We can pick up any one of them, read them, and run them against the narrative. And the minute they run foul of the narrative, they're out, or that section is out. So the, understanding the narrative is a great uh, inoculation against deception. But as much as there is this big picture, there's also the personal story. There's your personal story. There's your personal relationship with this great God. And what the Psalms help us understand, the Psalms help us really marry our personal walk with God with the big picture. Faithful to me. Why is he always there for you? Why is he a reliable partner for you? Is it because we're just so special? Or is it because we understand what he is doing at the macro level? And then we understand we've been grafted into this narrative. We, we've been recruited and placed into this covenant community as part of this grand narrative. And so God's covenant faithfulness is not just on a macro level. It's on a very personal level. 
And that's what struck me here in Psalm 116. Psalm 116 in verse 1. I think it's David, but we don't know for sure. The psalmist says, I love Jehovah. Why? Because he heard my voice and my supplications. And on Wednesday I said how, uh, or when we studied this, I said how John really makes this clear to us in the New Testament setting. In his writing he says, we love the Lord. Why? Because he first loved us. He's to us, and because of gratitude, because we recognize how big this grace is, it's not like somebody has to command you, well, you better love the Lord, or else he'll punish you. Okay, I better love the Lord. No, this is real. This is a real personal experience. God intervened in your life. He intervened in my life in a very personal way way and we recognize that this is his invention and therefore we were overwhelmed with gratitude saw in Matthew 18 I love the Lord because when I pleaded with him he heard me because he has inclined his ear unto me therefore will I call how much gratitude do you think the psalmist is experiencing if he's pledging I'm going to call upon Lord I'm going to worship the Lord I'm going to reflect my gratitude for the rest of my life that's that's pretty profound that's not like the servant in Matthew 18 who was forgiven this enormous debt got up and completely forgot about it he got up and it was the last thing on his mind he, he, he was back to himself and, and the center of himself, and he sees somebody who owes him 100 pence, and he's exacting. You must pay me. Totally different experience here. What if that servant got up and was so overwhelmed and said, I'm going to worship my Lord for the rest of my life. And then he sees somebody who owes him 100 pence. And, and it's not about me anymore. 100 pence. Totally forgiven. You know why? Because I have a gracious Lord, and I want to point you to him. Drop down to verse 12. I love the whole psalm, but I can't spend the whole time on the psalm. Uh, it's in the archive. Verse 12. He, again, think of the debt of gratitude here. And unto the Lord for all his benefits toward you. So, so there's, a, there's an accounting that's taking place here where the psalmist recognizes how much he has been faithful. How much he has benefited from this personal relationship that he has. And he's trying to figure out, how do I give back? I can't just receive all of this and not give back. He says, verse 13, very applicable for us as we're preparing to enter into the Passover and just the cup of salvation. And call upon the name of the Lord. So I, I'll go forward. I'm going to take this cup of salvation and I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord, now in the presence of all his people. So those of us who are baptized, we've made a vow. Those of us who are married, we've made a vow unto the Lord. The gratitude that he's overwhelmed with here, it's like 
I am focused, and Pastor Murray mentioned focus in his prayer. I am focused. This is it for me. I, I, by this personal intervention that God has had in my life, I'm paying my vows. I am now single-minded. I've put my, my hand to the plow. I'm not turning back. And, and I'm going to do this. Listen to verse 14. And again, compare and contrast to Matthew 18. I understand that what I do, my fellow servants witness. So I can, I have two roots. One is I can be very selfish. And I can be so exacting and punishing and oppressive to my fellow servants or to my fellow servant. But others in the congregation are going to witness this. Or I can be so grateful that I'm going to reflect my gratitude in the congregation so that others can be impacted by what they see in me and the, 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 over, the overwhelming gratitude that I have. Verse 15 is really interesting. Just in the sight of the Lord is the death of his. But he didn't die. In verse 19, he says, uh, sorry, verse 9, he says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He's just so overwhelmed with gratitude, he made it. He was on death's doorstep. He was just ready to slip into the grave, and God swooped in, intervened. And so now, I'm going to walk before the Lord. In verse 15, he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So there's this acknowledgement that he has that he could have died. In fact, he should have died, but he was spared. And then there's this great awareness that he has. He died. It wouldn't have been by accident. Had he died, it wouldn't have been because God was distracted. That had he died, it would have been God's will. And it would have been at, the, at, at God's time. That this was the time for him to die. And that that death of the saints is something that God, he, he understands now, God takes very, very. So for all of us who are mortal, our day of death is approaching. But not before God says so. So there's no need for us to be fearful of death. I just I, I have a Google alert. On my name. That anything happened, Adrian Davis has said anywhere, I want to know. So Google, tell me if my name's mentioned. I get a Google alert this week, Adrian Davis, obituary. And I look and I see this black man, young black man, he must have been 22, dead. Didn't explain why, didn't give any details. Just this young man called Adrian Davis, dead at 22. And I thought, wow. And here I am. And I've knocked on death's door. I, I have felt death. The, the, the electrical signaling in the heart just shutting down. And I've experienced that twice. I, I went through a period where I just had some very strange uh, heart problems. And, and, and I just felt the life force leaving me. And God spared me. And here I am. But had I died, it wouldn't have been because God was distracted. And when... When you die, when I die, it's time. And that's what, that's what the saint is saying here. That I'm going to spend the rest of my life praising the Lord. But when I die, 
it'll be by God's will and with God's attention. In verse 17, he says, The sacrifice of thanksgiving about gratitude. Come into the Passover, understanding what God has done for us personally. Yes, we need to understand the big story. On the night to be much observed, we need to understand the big story. But we also need to understand our story. And we need to tell others our story. And, and how did God save you from Egypt, spiritual Egypt? And how do you process the sacrifice that he made so that we can be this covenant promise? Well, the psalmist here says, I'm going to offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of Jehovah. And God tells us that in the end time, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be persecuted, will be put to death. And here he doesn't care. He, he's committed. Go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, just again, just to explore this sacrifice of thanksgiving, this commitment to give back to the Lord, and to call upon the name of the Lord regardless of consequences. In Hebrews 12, and these, the Hebrew Christians are the ones that were having second thoughts because of the degree of persecution that they were facing. And Paul tells them it's their reasonable service to be a living sacrifice. So here in verse 12, chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. So this is coming out of Hebrews 11, chapter 11, the, the faith chapter. We see how they were faithful to the end. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. It's just easy. And, and, and if we're ungrateful, it's even easier. When we're overwhelmed with gratitude, it's very hard to sin against the Lord. When we take him for granted, when we're ungrateful, it's easy for this sin to beset us. So let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So yes, it's going to be difficult. And those who call upon the name of the Lord will be persecuted, even put to death, Christ says. But let us run this, this race with patience. Looking unto Jesus. So this is what the Passover does for us. It allows us to have a close-up view of how Jesus ran his race. So that he's the model. We're going to look at what he did so that we can understand how we run our race. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So how clearly do we have that joy before us? Because it's easy to see the cross. That's right in front of us. But can we see beyond the cross? That's harder. That's harder. But that's what Christ did. Because he saw the joy that was beyond the cross. And then he's our forerunner. So this is how we can learn to understand how we can get, understand the whole story and our personal part in it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. In other words, he didn't really take on the shame. He, he, he minimized the shame. It's hard for us as human beings to be humiliated. It's hard for us to be despised, to be spat upon. He, he diminished all of that. That was nothing to him because of the joy. And this is to, as, as we perhaps find ourselves with bank accounts frozen, shut out of polite society, spat upon. 
violence uh, inflicted upon us. If we don't have this vision, all we'll see is the cross. If we have the vision, we will despise the cross. It's nothing because of what God is calling us to. Despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand, as is our fate that he has promised us to sit at the right hand of God. And then he says this, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. And this word is like the word that we get, um, our word analogy. Analogizomai, uh, which is to, it's in the middle voice. So it's to make him an analogy. Take the Passover, study the Passover, study his crucifixion, study his sacrifice, and study it as an analogy. Put yourself in his shoes. That's the power of story. Story can take you out of your experience and put you in the experience of another. Into his story, experience it so that you can come back to your story and say, okay, I've got my role model. I now know how to do this because I've learned experientially. So, so make him an analogy. Spend time, meditate on this, and think about how he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And, and we're heading into a world that's just dialing up the contradiction against Christ. So, so sinners are heating up. Sinners are intensifying. They're turning up the heat. And they're contradicting Christ. He's not here, but his body is. And so his body has to endure such contradiction of sinners against themselves. And, and we, we look at Christ as an analogy, lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. He says in verse 4, again, think Passover and how Passover trains our mind to face anything. You have not yet resisted unto blood, as Christ did. Christ took up his cross, and he was crucified, and resisted these contradiction, this contradiction of sinners without yielding unto blood. Well, you haven't done that yet, Hebrews. And we haven't done that yet. Yeah, it's getting ugly. But we haven't resisted yet unto blood. But Passover is rehearsing in the mind's eye what it will be like if we have to resist unto blood. And how, what is the key to endure such contradiction of sinners? It's to see beyond the cross. Take up your cross, yes, but don't focus on the cross. Take up the cross because you have a vision. You're, you're animated by a vision and you see beyond the cross. You've not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not you the chastening of the Lord. So despise the shame. Of the cross, but don't despise the cross. Don't despise the, ch- the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked of Him. So we know that um, suffering is a refining process. People who suffer are refined in, in the furnace of suffering. And something for us, He says, Christ says to us, you know, uh, if you're a good parent and your child asks for you uh, an egg, are you going to give him a stone? Or a serpent, if you ask for bread. Well, if you, if you know how to give good things to your children, uh, what kind of father do you think God is? So if you find yourself in the furnace of affliction, and you're in this personal relationship with God, it's not a scorpion he's giving you. It's not a serpent he's giving you. He's giving you glory. 
but there's a refining process that's required. And so we have to keep our eye on that glory. He says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. If you endure chastening. So we have to get through that. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. And I'll tell you, I can relate to this passage. And I think I've shared with uh, you before that when I was a young boy, I was a thief. And I stole a lot of money from my mother out of her purse. And I was very sneaky. And I had a lot of friends because I spent money on them. So it's just, hey, the more money I have, the more friends I have. So I just got into this routine, but I was very sneaky. I was very good. And that made me a liar. So a thief is always a liar. Well, eventually I got found out. And uh, I was always, I was, uh, of the four of us, I was the most disciplined. I, I got the most disciplined. And I think I was just more rambunctious, on the edge, just a, a young boy. Uh, so I got a lot of discipline. But when I got found out that I was a thief, words fail me to tell you of the discipline I received. It was like, if it was today, I think my mother would be in jail. If it was today, I'd probably turn her in. But back in the day, back in the 70s, boy, I I, I can't feel the pain. I can just remember it all. It's like it was a defining moment. And if there was a thief in me, my mother beat it out of me. Like, you don't, you don't mess. My mother was not a Christian. My grandmother was a very devout Christian. But my mother had Christian principles. Work. You don't beg. And you certainly don't steal. You work. And when she saw me, her own son, stealing and lying, I was chastised. I had a friend, a neighbor who lived across the street. And when, when we went to school the next day, he said, are you okay? He was across the street and he could hear me. So my mom beat that out of me. And I'm so grateful. I I wouldn't have the work ethic that I have today had my mom showed me, you crossed the line. Don't cross that line again. And to me, I hate lying. I hate theft. I love work. And I think all of that happened in that moment. So parents who have an eye to your future, to our future, they will take drastic measures in the present in order to get the result of the future. And so I'm eternally grateful to my mother. I, should, I didn't have my father there. She had to be, that should have been my father's role, but he wasn't there. So she had to take that role. And I'm eternally grateful. And, and so with God. We can't, do, do we want to get through this life with no discipline? I'm just so special, take me as I am. Or if there's, if there's defilement within me, and God wants to get that out so that he can have me in his eternal glory forever, is it worth it? Is it worth it? So this type of chastising, when we understand it's from the Lord, it gives us courage. It gives us courage. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So it, it can, we can be in this place of, I won't say fearlessness, but certainly courage. And if you look at 
Proverbs 28. It's a proverb we, we're all familiar with. I'm going to go to Matthew 10 next. But in Proverbs 28, just a single verse, the wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. How do we get that kind of boldness? How do, how do we know that everyone in here will have that kind of bold, boldness like a lion? It's this process we're going through. That each year, with an intense focus in this Passover season, we focus on the example of Christ. We consider how he, how he uh, endured the cross. We, we live in his shoes as an analogy. And we take this deleavening process very, very seriously. And if we find ingratitude lives within us, we're rooting it out. If a lack of forgiveness lives within us, we're rooting it out. If fearfulness, and Pastor Murray has reminded us, perfect love casts out fear. If fearfulness lives within us, we haven't achieved perfect love. Something's wrong. There's this psalmist in 116. It, it, that's perfect love. You just hear this. You, you feel it, the love that he has for his creator. If we have that, we will have this boldness. Matthew 10. This courage will come from righteousness. So we have to accept there's going to be discipline. There's going to be us. But we have to despise or lightly esteem their despising. It's okay. They, they don't understand the plot. They don't understand the story. They don't understand how it ends. You do. Matthew 10. Very uh, important chapter for us as we head into this end time period. In Matthew 10, beginning in verse 24, Christ tells us the disciple is not above his master, servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. So consider your master an analogy to you and, and be like him and the servant as his Lord. Listen to the logic. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So if they have no regard for Christ, why would they regard you? If they accuse Christ, why wouldn't they accuse you? But we, we're using Christ as our model, and we're developing courage. He says in verse 26, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. This word fear is phobia. So what's interesting here, it's, it's plural, so he's speaking to all the disciples. It's not a command. He's not saying, do not fear them. But I hope because of this understanding, you won't fear them. But it's not a command. It's a hope. It's in the subjunctive. So we have to ask ourselves, can we fulfill this hope? Based on our understanding that we're not above the Lord. So whatever they've done to him, they're certainly going to do to us. And therefore, we're not going to fear them. We understand the story. And then he says, everything's going to be revealed. In verse 27, he says, what I tell you in darkness, that speak you in the light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach you upon the housetops. Very difficult in a censorious society. 
very difficult in a politically correct society. Christ doesn't care. Truth is truth. And if it's true, don't mollycoddle, don't pussyfoot around, just speak the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for people who will, who will bend at the first sign of trouble. Oh, the censor's coming down. Okay, I give up. That's not what he's interested in. He's hoping that won't be the case. He's hoping because we understand, we'll just speak the truth. And then he says in verse 28, which is very interesting now, say, don't be afraid. But here, so first it was a hope that based on this understanding, you won't fear. Now it's an imperative, which killed the body. So now we're dealing with real, something really afraid of. And the command is, do not fear. Those who killed the body to kill the soul, but rather fear him, again, a command, which is able to destroy both soul and soul. So, so I guess in verse uh, 26, there's sort of the contemplation of what's going on, and there's some accusations going, going around and some, some labels being thrown around, and Christ is hoping we won't be fearful. But when, when the rubber hits the road, and now they want to put you to death, now the command is don't be fearful. We need to stand up to this. And then he goes back to uh, what we saw in Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Verse 29, aren't two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. So our death will never be premature. Never. So whatever's happening is happening. We're in God's hands. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Again, a command. Fear you not, therefore. You are of more value than many spectators. Therefore shall confess me before men. Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. And this is going Men are vicious. Men are powerful. When they, when they come together in powerful governments, it is amazing how much power they have. And in all of this, as they are increasing this global, in the midst of all of this, you speak the truth. You live the truth. The righteous are as bold as a lion. But I think if we have hidden sin, if we know we're not right with God, if I'm when the rubber hits the road, deep in my heart, I know that God isn't with me. So I'm going to be terrified. But if I've been using this time to root out the leaven, to root out the ingratitude, to love with my brother and my sisters. Now when I'm in this situation, I have confidence. God is with me. Oh Lord, examine my heart. And the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth are acceptable to you. So I, I, this, this, this boldness comes from the deleavening process. You fool around with deleavening. You play games with and what does the scripture say? The hypocrites in Zion are afraid. So if we're, to, if we're to eliminate this fear and replace it with boldness, it's by taking the deleavening process seriously. You know, that, that everything you owe. When he's in trouble, he knows he can't go back to his Lord for help. So we've got to have that, that personal relationship with God by living out the example of his, his, his son, and then 
We can do this. We can, we can be where we will confess him before men. We don't care. Truth is truth. He, 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 he's the Lord. And we'll confess his name. And then he will confess us before his father, which is in heaven. But he says, whosoever shall deny me before men out of fear. So, so Christ is going to become a gal. So, so society globally is going to be so anti-Christic that for you to dare say you're a Christian is going to be very, very difficult. Well, I have a kind of a God of everything that's in the air, the, the God of nature. That's, what, that's going to be much easier than to say, no, yeah, there was a man called Jesus Christ, and he was a Jew, and he was God. And I'm not backing down from that. I'm not apologizing for that. Read this. You want me to read the scripture for you? You want me to show you from the scripture? You do your worst. I don't care because I'm just telling you the truth. That's what God is looking for. And all these things that we're learning secretly in our studies with him and, and, and as he's teaching us and unfolding and coming to services and we learn, we need to be able to give an answer. Boldly. If our heart is full of leaven. What we're called upon to do. He says, Who, through fear, whoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. Don't think I came to send peace. I've come to send a sword. And he goes on to say that uh, this is what will be able to rely on anybody who does not have this commitment and the Holy Spirit running through them. And he says in verse 38, he that takes not his cross, the chastisement, the willingness to be chastised, to be despised. The, the, who, who doesn't understand the Passover? I've been taking Passover every year, but it was just a ritual to me. I didn't really take it seriously. Versus, I took the Passover as an analogy. I took the Passover and I considered my Lord. And I, I entered into his experience as an analogy to say, okay, if they've treated him this way, I may be treated this way as well. And I took the Passover year upon year, taking it as preparation time, knowing that if I'm in Christ, I'm going to suffer persecution. So I rehearsed the Passover. So I was able to take up his cross and fall after him. But he that takes not his cross and follows after me, though for afraid of the cross, we're not he that finds his life shall, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. In a situation, and it's just the way human beings are wired, we're in this self-preservation mode. The very thing we're trying to hold on to, we will lose. If, on the other hand, we're in Christ mode, we're in Passover mode, and we're like, okay, so be it. I'm willing to something beyond the grave. Then we're going to actually find eternal life. Let's begin to wrap up here. As in 2 Timothy 2, we need to really focus on killing ourselves from the world. We can't... I, that First of all, we've been duped, Right? All of this social justice and, and uh, all the politicians telling us what they're going to do for us and all the promises, we've been duped. We've been fooled. We've, we've lost our lives. Our lives are being taken away from us, especially if we're Christian. 
So that's the reality. I, I wish I had better news. I wish I could say to you, oh, don't worry. It's just a little bit of a hiccup. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, no, we're in free fall. I can't tell you it's going to happen tomorrow or next. I can tell you is the last couple of years, just, and we're in free fall now. So we need to begin to take, uh, intensify our walk with Christ. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 3, he says, You therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man entangles himself with the affairs of this him who has chosen him to be a soldier. So as I said earlier, we've been recruited. Being recruited into the covenant actually means, as a first fruit, we're soldiers. We've, we've been recruited into battle. Understanding that, we can't be caught up in this world. It doesn't mean that we don't have a plan. It doesn't mean that we're not trying to build a, a good life. It just means we're not caught up in it. We do what we can while we can. If for the sake of Christ it's taken away from us, oh well. We had rehearsed this in our mind. We knew this, this could happen. And we're willing to lose our lives. But it doesn't mean we're irresponsible and we have no plan for the future. No, we have a plan for the future. We work hard. We, we want to uh, go about our business. But we're willing to endure hardness. We're not, we're not backing down from our commitment. And we're not going to entangle ourselves in the affairs of this life. That we may please him who has chosen us to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So if we're striving with leaven in our heart, he we won't be crowned. He, he was very, very, I, I don't, I, it's not possible to be clearer. So likewise, well, everyone who does not forgive is for striving, but with unforgiveness in our heart. We're striving, but with ingratitude, the scripture is clear. The man who strives for mastery is yet he's not crowned except he strive lawfully. The farmer that labors must be the first partaker of the fruit. The farmer who labors must be the first partaker of the fruit. Consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. Well, what does it mean? The farmer who labors must be the first partaker of the fruit. He gets to enjoy the fruit first. And we need to think about this. In John 15, he says, my father is the farmer and I'm the vine. So the father is the husbandman. And the scripture says he gets to partake of the fruit first. Hold your place here and come with me to Luke 17. He says, consider this, understand it. The farmer gets to be the first partaker of the fruit, not you. You're out there working. You're a servant of the farmer, but he gets the fruit first. Luke 17 and verse 7, Which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come in from the field, Go and sit down and eat, but will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may eat, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and after that you can eat and drink. The farmer gets to eat first. The slave, come in and feed me, and then, and then you can look after yourself. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I don't think so. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which are commanded of you, 
you say, we're unprofitable servants. We've done that. So let's go back to 2 Timothy 2. And I should have said to you, we're going to be back to Luke 17. We'll just come back there. We're going to finish in Luke 17. Back to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 8, continuing. He says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. Remember that. So the farmer gets to partake of the fruit first. Christ is the first of the first fruits. We are like first fruits attached to him through Pentecost shows us that. And the farmer gets to partake of the fruit first. So we're not here working so that we can eat first. We're recruited into our focus, to our intense, understanding that it's our duty to bring fruit to the Father. It's to eat first. Not ourselves. We're thinking about him and his enjoyment and what he wants. Verse 8, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead according to his gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer. They're, tre- they're treating me like an evildoer. If you look at Art Pulowski out in Alberta. He's suffering as if he's an evildoer. And what's he doing? He's feeding the poor. He's preaching his understanding of the gospel. But no, you're an evildoer. And they craft this narrative around him. Well, that's sort of the canary in the coal mine. Get ready. They change the laws like this. The law, law is so fluid today. They just change the law. Today I'm a, you know, herder of rights. Suddenly I'm a terrorist and I'm in jail. How'd, how'd that happen? And now I'm evil. That's, that's where we're heading. So here it's, it's not new. Paul is suffering as an evildoer. Even in chain, he's in prison. But the word of God is not. Therefore, pattern himself after Christ with a Passover mindset. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Why? The farmer eats first. It's not about me. It's about the farmer enjoying the fruit first. And I understand that what I do has an impact on the body. I can edify the body. I can build up the body so that the farmer can enjoy the fruit. So Paul is saying, think about this and understand it. He's saying, therefore, I endure all things because it's not about me. It's about the father. The farmer eats first. And I'm doing this for the elect's sake, the first fruits, that which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's a for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he says that to us in Matthew 10. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful. That's who he is. He cannot deny himself. Let's go back to Luke 17 where we'll conclude. Luke 17, we'll pick up where we left off. In verse Luke 17 and verse 11. And what we've been exploring is in this world of wickedness that God will destroy. How do we find grace in the eyes of the Lord? And so there's a, an internal process that we have, a delevening process we have to go through where we cannot show up ungrateful and fearful. And the two are related. That the less grateful we are, the more fearful we will be. The more we're overwhelmed with gratitude of what God has done for us, the more we'll be in the, the, the mindset of the psalmist. Uh, how, do I, how do I repay the Lord? How do I give back? I'm, uh, for the rest of my life, that's it. 
for the rest of my life, regardless of consequences, I will glorify the Lord. That's what we're looking at. He says, it came to pass, verse 11, as he went to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Why is he heading to Jerusalem? He's heading there for the Passover, to be crucified. As he's heading to Jerusalem to be crucified, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices. So, terrible situation. They're lepers. Their, their life is tragic. So they kept their distancing. They stood far off. Nobody wanted them. They're social outcasts. But they lifted up their voices and said, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. That as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a megaphone. The Greek says megaphone. So this is, he's really making this known. He glorified and fell down at his face, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. There's the gratitude. Overwhelmed with gratitude for how God has intervened in his life. And you know what? He was a Samaritan. Wasn't even a Jew. He was a Samaritan. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans. Although they're part of the house of Israel, and he was coming through from the north, through Samaria, this Samaritan was overwhelmed with gratitude. I guess the Jews thought, he has to do this for us. Maybe we think that. I'm a Christian. He has to intervene for me. What I'm going to ask you, brethren, as we head into the Passover, to look at Psalm 116. And think about your life. Have you forgotten? Have I forgotten? How many times, how often, how deeply, how wholly God has intervened in your personal life, in your personal journey. And let's remember to be grateful. Let's be overwhelmed with gratitude. In fact, I want to share with you a quick story. This was interesting. When his name is Anthony Ray Hinton. Your life is hard? You think you've been hard done by? Anthony Ray Hinton spent 30 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. Think about that. On death row, any moment now you can be destroyed. And maybe he gets a, a what do they call that, a stay? But he's got this death sentence over him for 30 years for a crime he didn't commit. He was working in a locked factory at the time he was being accused of. The police told him he'd be going to jail because he was black. So going back to how things were over 30 years ago, his time in jail, which, again, we should celebrate the fact that we've moved on society today. Christians are trying to drag us back to the 1960s and, and drum something up that just doesn't exist in the way that they're saying. If we have anything, we have systematic equity, which is not necessarily a good thing, but it's better than what we had. But now this is the way things were. He was black, and therefore, hey, you're going to jail. 
His time in jail was spent in solitary confinement. That's something that can just drive you crazy. In a five by seven foot cell, allowed out only one hour a day. But Hinton quickly became a friend and counselor of other inmates and the death row guards, and many of whom begged Hinton's attorney to get him out. A unanimous Supreme Court ruling ordered his release, and he was able to walk free. In an interview, he is quoted saying, one does not know the value of freedom until it is taken away. And so we just had a taste of that over the last couple of years, how quickly our freedom can be taken away, things that we took for granted. But when it's really totally taken away, then you understand the value of freedom. Listen, he says, people run out of the rain. I run into the rain. I am so grateful for every drop, just to feel it on my face. Hinton was later interviewed on 60 Minutes. The interviewer asked if he was angry at the people who put him in jail. He said he forgave them all. 30 years on death row, in solitary confinement. He said he forgave them all. The interviewer asked, but they took 30 years of your life. How can you not be angry? Hinton responded, if I'm angry and unforgiving, they will have taken the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. He said, you your joy. Can't take. Can't let people come into your life and destroy it. But I refuse to let anyone take my joy. I wake up in the morning to make me laugh. I'm going to laugh on my own because I've been blessed to see another day. And when you're blessed to see another day, that should automatically give you joy. Hopefully, brethren, that's a real away from them, solitary confinement, 30 years on death row, and when he's released, he puts it behind him. Christ is asking us to do even more than this. He says here, with this Samaritan who came with a megaphone and glorified Christ, verse 16, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, wait a minute. Didn't I cleanse 10? Didn't I heal 10? As I look at the church, and we know in this world, there's filth. People dress up nicely, and the filth comes out. They can't hide it. Corruption and filth. And we were just like them. Intervened. Washed us, made us clean, placed us in the covenant. Do we have this attitude like the Jews? Well, he, he, should have, he had to wear in the covenant. He needs to do that. Who cares? Or are we more like the Samaritan? Whom, are we overwhelmed with gratitude that he looks at the church and says, we're not X number cleansed? And then he 90% of them? Thank you. Can't be overwhelmed with gratitude. Can't have a sense like I have to pinch myself. Am I? We're not all the church cleansed, baptized into his glory. Christ says, we're not there ten cleansed, but where are the nine? 
Where's 90% of the people who benefited from my grace? Are they now going out and exacting retribution from somebody who owes them? And only one, only 10% is truly grateful? Where, were there not 10 clans, but where there are not found that returned to give glory to God except this stranger? And he said to the stranger, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you whole. We look forward to this second exodus upon the earth. And we look forward to being among those who find grace in the eyes of God. Will we be among those who are found to be grateful? And God can, and instead of Christ saying, will the return? Can he instead turn to us full of gratitude, overwhelmed with gratitude, and say to us, where are the nine? Your faith. Thank you so much, Pastor Adrian, for that message. Great story of um, that man on death. Hymnals. Just do you turn to page ninety? Do the announcement. Bible study uh, this week, Wednesday, April sixth. As Pastor Adrian mentioned in his sermon, there'll be a live Q and A. Facebook page, Canada. And the Holy Days. Thursday, April 14th is the Passover. Friday, April 15th is the Night to Be Much Remembered. Saturday, April 16th is the first day of Unleavened Bread. And Friday, April 22nd is the last day of Unleavened Bread. Now for the hymns. Here, page uh, 99. My soul.
page 84, after which we'll have the closing prayer by Deacon Jan. Page 84. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have alert my sight. I will hasten, hasten to Him, hasten to glad and free, hasten glad and free, Jesus, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, Leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one. He is the just one. He has the words of life. I will hasten, hasten to him. Hasten to let him free. Hasten glad and free. Jesus, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith, do what he willeth, he is the living way. I will hasten, hasten to him, hasten to glad and free, hasten glad and free. Jesus, Jesus, greatest, highest. I will come to thee. I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. 
friends may oppose me, foes may beset me, still will I enter in. I will hasten, hasten to him, hasten to blood and free, hasten blood and free, Jesus, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved, and who will go with me? Come, friends, without delay. Stop by the Bible, led by the Spirit, will walk the heavenly way. I will hasten, hasten to Him, hasten to glad and free, hasten glad and free. Jesus, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. Now for the closing prayer. All loving Father, great God, and thank you, Father, again for another week, and Father for another Sabbath. And just what a what a time of the year is, Father, and what a Sabbath it is, Father. As we so close, we're just counting. We are on the countdown. Or just such a wonderful season that which is about to approach, Father. And as we just heard from today's message, Father, there is so much associated with this day, not just the day, but the entire festival, Father, but just help us to be, express our gratitude, not just toward what Christ did for us, what you, Father, did for us, but also for each other here in our congregation, Father. Help us to appreciate each other here. Help us to honor, Father, each other, just the way how we do honor Christ. And help us, Father, have the same attitude, not just on the Passover, Father, but every single day, every single Sabbath, Father, then no matter what, we'll be always willing to get down on our knees and watch each Father's feet, Father. And 13 days is a lot, but 30 days is just not enough for some of us, Father, just to get our life straight. 11 hour mind, 11 hour hearts, Father. Where use our time? Help us to use our time very wisely, Father. Help us to disconnect what's happening, Father, in the political arena, world arena. And just help us, Father, to connect to you and to your son. Help us, Father, to connect to your word. Help us to live in it, relive it, and experience it to its fullest extent. So when we come together, when we get together on this night, on the Passover night, Father, we truly show gratitude for each other. So, Father, thank you today for your servant, for your, ma- for your message that we hear today. Help us to really put it into the action, not into just our mind and heart, but into the action, Father. And as always, thank you for this Sabbath service. Thank you again, Father, for the contribution, full contribution that we partake in, we break bread together. What a blessing, Father, it is again. Just be very grateful for it, Father. And just be with us, Father, release us safely home at the end of this day, at the end of this evening, Father. So we thank you, Father, with great honor for everything. We love you, we praise you, Father, we thank you. In no other name, Christ's name, amen. Let's say we'll just have the closing scripture. We'll be taken from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 to 18. Now we exhort you, brethren... Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, and uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, 
but always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for you all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen.